0: For those who have got the church Bibles, please turn to page 840, page 840, and for those following in their own Bibles, it's John chapter 8, verse 12 to 38, page 840 in the church Bibles, and John chapter 8, verse 12 to 38, if you've got your own Bible. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet, even if I were to judge, my judgment is true, for it's not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it's written that the testimony of two people is true, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor the Father, if you knew me you would know the Father also. These words he spoke and the treasures he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away, you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said to themselves, will he kill himself since he says, where am I going, you cannot come? He said to them, you're from below, I am from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. I told you you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, Who are you? It's a good question to ask, but maybe not with the heart they asked it with. Jesus said to them, Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus says to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he said these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to it. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we have before us a rich glimpse of you. But to preach it fully and clearly, I will need the help of your Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, take me and hide me behind the Lord Jesus. May we do as we sung in our opening hymn, behold him today. If we have trusted in you for years, Lord, then give us something fresh from your word, something to cling to that will cause us delight in our souls, that we can sing Hosanna. And if we do not know you, if we're unsure of you this morning, then, Holy Spirit, we definitely need you to come and do your work, for we can open the eyes of no heart, but you can. So come. Help us, we pray, to hear, to speak, to respond. For Jesus' sake, amen. He had been going through several difficult phases in his life, and one thing after the other just seemed to come against him. Opposition, heartbreak, financial ruin. He was a successful artist for some time, but his artwork had started to become unpopular, And so to refresh himself, to to try and get away from it all, he took himself off to the island of Tahiti. Now, I've never been to Tahiti. I don't expect ever will get there. But it's supposed to be beautiful, gorgeous, a paradise on earth. But as he was there in this paradise on earth, the, the things that he struggled with back at home followed him there. The difficulties, the disappointments, the heartaches. They weren't external. They were internal. As he struggled with this, he painted one of his most famous paintings. And on the back of his painting, he asked three questions. And I do apologize for what I'm about to do to the French language. (laughs) He asked these three questions: Do we all know? Que sommes-nous? And que allons-nous? I didn't have to do that, I just thought it would be fun. (laughs) But the three questions were this: Where do we come from? Who are we? And where are we going? As Paul Gauguin struggled with these things, he painted one of his most famous works and later attempted to take his life because he tried everywhere looking for the answer to these questions. Where do we come from? Why are we here? How did it all start? What, what spun this into being? Who are we? Who are we really? And where are we going? The end of his wits, he turned to a figure who was unexpected, a figure he had heard of in youth, a figure he had related to through history books and schools, but had never really made sense to him, a figure who also appeared before that lady caught in adultery in John 8, 1 to 11, a figure who is completely unexpected, a figure who in the midst of deep darkness and gloom shines a warm, welcoming, healing, whole full light. At his wit's end, he turned to the one who claimed he was the light of the world. Like that woman caught in adultery who was thrown before the feet of Jesus, he too looked, opened his eyes, and saw the fulfillment of Scripture. He saw the one who was promised to us way back with echoes in Genesis. When there was darkness, God said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who in Exodus guided the people through the wilderness by a pillar of fire by day and night the dust by day and the fire by night. In Isaiah 9 verse 2, the people dwelling in deep darkness, the word there for darkness is actually gloom. Gloom's a funny word, isn't it? Not really a word you hear too often, but if somebody's gloomy, it doesn't really mean they're happy, does it? The people dwelling in deep darkness in gloom, on them as a light shone. They found the one whom Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path in dark places. The one again promised in Isaiah 60, verse 19 to 22. The sun shall be no more. Your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord your God will be your everlasting light. The sun shall not go down, the moon withdraw itself. The Lord will be your light. Your days of mourning have ended. Your people shall be all righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The least one shall become a clan, must be Scottish. And the smallest one, a mighty nation. They come before the light of the world Jesus described himself to be. The one promised from ancient times now stands before them and fulfills what David saw. With you is the fountain of life in you do we see light. And we see this in John 1 too, don't we? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him, and was not anything made that was made. It's quite a powerful thought, isn't it? Not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Who is this figure who walks across the pages of history? This light of the world whom communism has tried to stamp out and failed, whom capitalism has tried to sell out and failed. Who is this figure whom empires and Caesars and Augustines and Napoleons have all bowed the cap to? Napoleon himself, old Bonaparte bless him. He was jealous of one person, Jesus Christ. You know what he said about him? He said, I have conquered empires and I've taken Russia, which didn't go too well for him. I have taken, and we'll not mention Waterloo, but I have taken these things. <laughs> but I am jealous of Jesus Christ. I hold my empires together by force and by might. He holds his together by love. This light of the world whom Gagon fell before. This light of the world whom the woman caught in adultery fell before in this beautiful scene as the Pharisees are condemning her harshly. Jesus says that he who's right Sin cast the first stone. As he bends down to write in the gown, commentators speculate, what's he writing, what's he talking about? Some think he's passing sentence on them. Some think he's writing the Ten Commandments. Whatever it was, they left. And he looks up at her. And I want to put this here before you this morning because the text we're about to ply into deals with deep things. But never forget this, that God has come to rescue people. He has come to rescue you, if you will let him. When we delve into the beauties of this passage, it can seem distant to us. But always remember that before the Savior's eyes is you, friend. You personally and individually. He doesn't overlook you. He doesn't lose you in a crowd. He sees you. And if you think, well, how does he do that? I can't remember my own name. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, nor are my ways your ways. This is the one who calls the stars by name. I don't know how many stars there are in the galaxy. There's quite a few of them. He calls each one by name. So friend of you here this morning, you maybe feel like that French artist. You're saying, what's it all about? What... You're driven to distraction. You haven't been able to buy yourself happiness. You haven't been able to earn yourself happiness. You haven't been able to love yourself into happiness. (coughs) Jesus sees you this morning. And dear Christian friend, perhaps you're like the people in Isaiah. You feel like you're dwelling in deep gloom. Things just aren't going the way you want them to. Things are hard in life. Life is hard. Jesus sees you too. Never forget that the Christian faith isn't about doctrines, which are important and essential. I get told off for saying things like that. But primarily, it's about you and Jesus. You and a living, loving figure who yearns for you to come and know him through the power of his Holy Spirit. He is seeking for you. He is seeking for the people outside the doors of this church. He is the yearning Missionary God who calls all men and all women everywhere to repent and come and know him. And knowing him is life. And in the darkness of your light, he will shine a beautiful light. J.C. Ryle says, for this state of things, talking about the world, the Lord Jesus declares himself to be the only remedy. He is risen from the dead. And like the sun, he diffuses light and life and peace and salvation in the midst of a dark world. He invites all who want spiritual help and guidance to turn to him, take him as their leader. What the sun is to the whole solar system, the center of light, heat, life, and creative power, that is he to the world, and especially to sinners. Jesus is the light of the world who shines in the darkness with a beautiful, unconquerable, joyous, soul-warming light that will never be put out. He never disappoints. He never lets down. Any promise he makes you through his word, he will honor. He honored them by the point of shedding his blood on the cross for us. Paul says this in Romans 8, O oh, you who are struggling, what will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall persecution? Shall famine? Shall nakedness? Shall danger? And then he goes on to describe the apostles. Imagine getting this as your job description. We're slaughtered. We're like sheep for the slaughter all the day long. Then he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, angels or principalities, things to come, nor anything in all of creation, which is a pretty broad description, is it not? that includes cancer. That includes financial heartache. That includes setbacks. That includes the thorny days, the difficult days, the days where you feel the gloom most keenly. Nothing in all of creation will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ your Lord. Amen. Amen. And that light shines in the darkness. And if Jesus was to answer the three questions that Paul Gagan posed, where do you come from, Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 13 to 17, he has come on a mission from the Father in heaven above. Last week we looked at the prodigal son to try and compare the, the message of what Jesus brings. And we saw the Father waiting for the son to come home, the prodigal. He was watching and waiting. Jesus comes from the Father in heaven, from the center of the universe, the place where we are homesick for without even realizing. I love Northern Ireland. It's a great place. I'm going there next weekend for a conference. You know what the first thing I'm going to do? Forget the conference. I'm going to have some potato bread. A big <laughs> Ulster fry. Because there's nothing on earth. See, when Moses was in the wilderness, the manna that came from heaven was actually an Ulster. No, LAUGHTER That's right, I'll get in trouble now. And I miss home. We all miss home, don't we? We come from a place... Hopefully we've had a place in our lives. I know sometimes folk do where we've been safe, where we've been loved, and there's a homesickness in us for that place, is there not? I'm sure you guys from Africa must miss the heat. I mean, thankfully, England is not as bad as Scotland, but, Jigar, you must miss the heat. And Scottish people, Dorian, I know you must miss it, where the speak talk... talk. talk properly up there, but us that right. We're homesick for home, but we're homesick for an even more profound place, and that is heaven. God made us. He created Psalm 139. You were knitted together in your mother's womb, intricately, detailedly. All the days of your life, he has prepared in your book for you. He made us. He knows us. We were made to know him, to be with him forevermore, to rejoice and celebrate with him. And when we left his presence, that homesickness entered our heart, and we've tried to fill it with everything. But the only thing that we'll fill it with is God. Jesus comes from that place, our home. It was the Father who sent him, verse 16. Sometimes uh, criticisms are leveled against the evangelical church that we say, oh, Jesus is the one who who comes because the is slightly cross. That's not true at all. That's rubbish. The Father sends the Son in love to rescue and redeem us too. Look at verse 16 there. The Father sent me. I bear witness about the Father. Where does Jesus come from? He comes from heaven. He steps out of eternity into this time. John 1 tells us that. He came into the world that he made. He's come from heaven. What is he? Who is he? Verse 18 to 38, he describes himself there. He is the son of the living God. The Pharisees, bless them, were too, were too caught up in their own narrow frameworks to actually hear what Jesus was saying to him. And friend, you may be here this morning, and you may have had a rejection against the church. You may have heard things. You think, oh well, I, I, I can't stand Jesus because of this and that. Friends, listen to what Jesus says about himself. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. I have talked to people. I remember hearing, I was at an evangelical talk in Borders in Dundee years ago. This lady came into the talk and she was angry. She was really angry. She came into the talk and it was in Borders. Remember Borders, the bookstore, and they used to have a coffee shop attached to it. And these evangelical Christians had taken over the coffee shop and just ruined her evening. So she came in with the arms folded. You know, and she was ready for a fight. And if if you know Dundee folk, they're always ready for a fight. They make Belfast seem like a peaceful place. Sorry to anyone who's from Dundee. And this lady was ready for a fight. Because she didn't like Christians. Because she had been to church. And she had had a horrible experience there. And she just took that as, that's what Jesus was like. So she put up a framework. As the speaker started speaking, he just gave the simple, in fact, I think he probably gave the prodigal son he talked about how the Father in heaven is holy and just, yes. How he's the creator, how we've rebelled against him, how there's a problem that's called sin. And she was getting angry and anger because that's the language she had heard before. But then he just gave the gospel. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. To save the brokenhearted. To rescue and redeem, because he was the Son of the living God. And when he went to the cross, he did it because he loved us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And she just melted into tears because she'd never heard that gospel before. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're angry with the church or angry with God, please, 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 please listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Listen to how he describes himself here to the Pharisees. He says he has been sent from heaven, the home which we can go to if we trust in him. He is the son of the living God. He is fully God and fully man. We have seen in John up to this point how the Father has proved this through the miracles, through the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. We're going to see it later on in John as we see the scene where Jesus himself raises a man from the dead. His friend Lazarus who was dead for four days. and Jewish tradition, being dead for four days meant you were, you were dead. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And one commentator says, Jesus had to put Lazarus at the front of that word because if he'd said, come forth, half the graves in Jerusalem would have emptied, such is the power of his voice. Verse 29, He is the Son of the living God, who is his Father's delight. God the Father delights in the work of Jesus Christ. We saw this at Jesus' baptism in the earlier Gospels when the Spirit descends and the Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We see it at the Transfiguration when He goes up the mountain and He pulls back, His glory shines out, and the Father says, This is my Son, listen to Him. The Father delights in the work of the Son, He comes from heaven. He is the son of the living God sent to rescue and redeem. Later on in that chapter, we see that he is also the emancipator. I was trying to find a word to describe that, and my brain's a funny place. Freud said that the Irish should never be psychoanalyzed because the psychoanalyst would have a breakdown, and that's probably <laughs> quite true. But as I was thinking of this text, the image came to mind of Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator. Why was, why was Lincoln called the great emancipator? Because he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which declared that slavery was illegal in the United States. He set the captives free. Jesus is the Son of the living God, come from heaven, sent by the Father, and he is the emancipator to set us free from a deeper and darker darkness and slavery than we ever knew the slavery of sin. Jesus is the light, but darkness seems to be quite strong at the minute, does it not? As we look at our society, as we look at our world, it seems as if the dark is winning. It seems as if sin's wages are coming to fruition. The sun still sets people free. His light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He is the emancipator, and where is he going? Where is he going? He is going to the cross, verse 28. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men and women to himself. The cross is God's salvation. The cross is God's message to the world. That's the message of this, that I have come to save and redeem all who will trust in me. Paul talked about it in Romans 8. Isaiah prophesied about it in Isaiah 53. The cross is God's declaration to the world that there is no greater proof of his love than that old Roman cross. Does God love me? Does God love me? How can God love me when I'm going through this? How can God love me when this is happening? Friends, when you ask questions like that, look at the cross. See the Son of Man there, the light of the world. We just sung it, altogether lovely, altogether worthy. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross, but he went there for me. He went there for you. He goes to the cross then, verse 22, he goes to the grave. Jesus died on the cross. The penalty for sin had to be paid. God's justice demanded it, but Jesus fulfilled it. Somebody once said, well, why can God not forgive us? He's God. But friends, that's that's not how justice works. That's not how justice works. Inside each of us, we have an innate sense of right and wrong, do we not? Let me test that on you. When you drive out of the church today and somebody cuts you up on the inside, your innate sense of right and wrong is going to kick in, won't it? Especially if it's Janet. (laughs) We have an innate sense of right and wrong, do we not? Because there needs to be justice. God's world was perfect and pure. Sin set it off balance and rebellion. Wars, rumors wars. No, there needs to be justice. So, Jesus takes the just wrath of God. He takes our penalty. He takes our sin. He takes our shame, and he takes it to the grave, and it's buried there with him. And then three days later, he bursts out of the grave. Verse 35, alive forevermore. Love's redeeming work done. Fought the fight, the battle won. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We serve a risen Savior who has been to the cross, defeated sin and death and the grave and hell itself, and has risen three days later, alive forevermore, and is with us now through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he has gone home. And he waits for us there. Who is Jesus? Where does he come from? He comes from heaven, sent by the Father to redeem this world dwelling in darkness. He comes with his light, his justice, his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace. He looks the devil square in the eye and defeats his satanic forces. He looks sins, chains, and he shatters them for all who would trust in him. I love, I love the Methodist old hymn book. Have you ever been, we were listening to a documentary last night with John Lennox. No, it wasn't John Lennox at all. It was Alsterbeck, sorry. Is when he gets down or when he gets discouraged, he goes in his car and he drives off to a really faraway place so that nobody can hear him sing. Which, if he's like me, that's probably a good idea. I was singing once in the Dartmoor and they thought it was the Hound of Baskervilles. No. He gets an old Methodist hymn book. He sings some of the hymns and they're powerful, aren't they? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin's and nature's light. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, I followed thee. He is the emancipator, the rescuer, who has been to the cross, the grave, the resurrection, and has now returned to his heavenly home where he reigns at the center of the universe and waits for us there if we would trust him. So friends, as we close this message, let me flip the questions around to you. Where have you come from? Genesis 1 tells us that we were made in the image of God. He is our creator. Life has come from him. All life. Out of nothing, everything. everything. Scientists have tried to dispute that, and still their words fall short. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made us integrally. You're not an accident. You're not chaos. You're not random atoms thrown together. You're made by a heavenly Father in his image who loved you and has breathed life into you. All life is a gift from God. What are you? made in his image, made for more than this life has to offer, but also too in darkness. We turned our back on God, each and every one of us, all of us like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. The scripture tells us time and time again. We alienate ourselves from God and we alienate ourselves from each other. We see this every day in our lives, do we not? So yes, CK, how many of you have read Father Brown, C.K. Chesterton? C.K. Chesterton was a, it was a remarkable man. I wouldn't agree with everything he said. He was quite perceptive in some ways. And once the Times newspaper in London, imagine if the Times did this today. and had a theology debate. Imagine the Times did that. Wouldn't that be great? Well, actually, no, probably not. But um, it had a debate and it said, what's wrong with the world? Why is there so much heartache? Why is there so much pain? And C.K. Chesterton would let it that said this, I'm wrong with the world, full stop. What he meant by that is sin has... Put us out of joint with everything. It's knocked out. Every- How many of you got aches and pains? <laughs> yeah. I cotton Never oil just doesn't do it, does it? Why do you have aches and pains? Because something's fallen out of place. You know, your hips popped out, or your knees popped out, or I don't know, your head's fallen off. Something like that's happened <laughs> with these aches and pains because things are out of joint. That's what sin's done to this world. It's put things out of joint. And we know this. We know this is not the way things should be. So how do we get out of this? We are made with tremendous potential in the image of God, and yet we're also rebels against this God who made us. So what do we do? Where will we go? We know where we've come from. We've come from a God who has made us, who has placed us here and now in this city for this day. What are we? We are made in the image of God and yet we have rebelled against that God so we're, we're guilty before him. How does all this, how, what will we do? How will we get out of the slavery? How will we get out of these chains that bind us? How will we do that which is good? We turn to the son, verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is pure. He is fully God and fully man. He came to live the life we could not live. He loved perfectly, despite provocation, despite Pharisees, despite disciples who really just, I think it was you, Alan, saying about the disciples, the Duh, like Homer Simpson disciples. They got all these things wrong. And yet, yet he perseveres in love too. them. we turn to him. Where will you go, friend? Where will you go? Will you keep trying the same old things? What's the definition of insanity, trying the same old things and expecting something different to happen? Or will you turn to the one who was the light in Paul Gagarin's life? Will you turn to the one who was the light in the woman who was caught in adultery's life? Will you turn to the one who for 2,000 years has been setting the captives free, redeeming sinners and giving hope to the weary, downcast and lost? Will you turn to the Son who will set you free if you trust in him? Whosoever comes to him, he will receive whosoever believes in him his light will shine upon them john wesley said that he closely and humbly steadily follows him shall have throughout their whole life that divine light continually shining upon them diffusing over their soul knowledge holiness and joy till he is guided to light everlasting christ cannot be comprehended by good works you must open your eyes of faith know him hear him let the word shine into your heart and acknowledge us by means of this light. We shall live. Verse 21 reminds us that a day is coming. Jesus himself said this in words that are heartbreaking but true. That if we choose the darkness, then we will be in eternal darkness. If we choose the chains, then we will never be set free. If we reject the light, then there is no hope for us. Where will you go? Will you go your own way and pay the cost of that in eternity? Or will you turn this morning and trust in the living Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you and who will redeem you, who will set you free, who will transform your soul, give you a hope and a purpose and a passionate life? God is amazing. This week, when I was in Scotland at the ministers' conference, and thank you for your prayers for that, by the way, it went well. And we were sharing stories of how God's at work. And one of the ministers, has anyone ever been to Strenar in Scotland? They're not missing much, really. Just to be the boats to Northern Ireland, which is the best part of it. And then they took the boats away. And now there's, well, there's Strenar. Um, and he's a minister in the Baptist church in Strenar. And he was telling me, he had this guy come to the church, completely random. This guy called to him and says, I want to get baptized. And the friend was like, well, you know, let's have a chat. What had happened was this. His mom had passed. And in her will, she had left him a copy of the King James Bible. This guy decided he was going to read it. So he started at Genesis. They got all the way through, and he heard those promises we talked about earlier on, about how this light was coming, how darkness would be set free, how the captives would. And he got all the way through, and he read the Gospels, and he found out it was Jesus. Then he got to Acts, and it says, repent, be baptized. He's like, I must get baptized. And so through reading the King James Bible, the Word of God, he decided that he was going to go to Strenar and get baptized. He has got baptized, and now he's going on with the Lord. God is seeking. God is here with us this morning. And I say that not because of anything we do, but because of promise in his word that where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there also. And Fred, if you're here this morning and you feel like you're going, you feel at your wit's end, you feel like, where am I going? Go to him. I promise you, he will not cast you out. He says that himself, which is a greater promise than I could promise you. A Christian friend, if you're here this morning, you're going through that. We go through seasons, do we not, where the darkness seems stronger than the light? We go through times where the road is bumpier, the potholes bigger. Keep trusting in him. His light will never fail you, he will never let you go. And as you trust in him and his light shines in your soul, he will reflect it out and we will become lights in this dark world. Let us live for him. Let us serve him. Let us shine our lights through the power of his Holy Spirit that Lincoln would become bright with the hope of Jesus Christ. That those dwelling in the land of deep darkness outside our doorsteps and in gloom would see the eternal light. And as I said before, and I mean, Lincoln, we're moving to Lincolnshire. And then we're moving to England. We'll leave the Scots alone for now. We'll go across the wheels. And we will see His glory displayed. For he is the Savior of the world. Let us pray. For with you, O Lord, the psalmist tells us, is the fountain of life. We have come from you. We have not made ourselves. We're not our own creation. We thank you that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, that every person who has got the gift of life in them is not a mistake, is not a random collection of molecules by the chance processes of cold and dark forces, but is a gift, a creation of the living God. We acknowledge too before you, O Lord, that we have turned our backs on you. We have rebelled and separated ourselves from that fountain of life and we have chosen sin. We have put ourselves in your place and we see the consequences of that. But we thank you, O fountain of life, that you have not stopped giving or stopped pouring. Not only do you sustain us physically, but you have sent the Savior of the world, the light of the world, to rescue and redeem us. Thank you for our Lord Jesus, whom we love. Thank you that he is a willing Savior, sent by a loving Father through the power of an enabling, life-giving Holy Spirit. And thank you that you're with us now. Thank you that you uphold us by your love, and in your light do we see light. For brothers and sisters in this room who are weary in the struggle, O Lord, may you refresh them today. Refresh them with a fresh vision and hope. Renew us in our prayer devotion to you. Renew us in our worship to you. Renew us in our serving you that flows not from works, but from trusting you and delighting in you. And if there's any in this room today, Lord, I pray that whatever I have said that's not helpful would fall to the wayside, Lord. Forgive the foolishness of preaching. But may they know that you're seeking after them to save and redeem them, to lift them out of the Mary pit and set them on a solid rock, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord, Holy Spirit, help them to cry out through the gift of salvation today. And we ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.